This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Xiao Ik. Are children's aches and pains just part of growing up or are there perhaps more concerning issues related to the development of their musculoskeletal system? Today, joining me on the show is physiotherapist Chu Li Ying and we're going to be discussing how modern lifestyles today affect children's physical activity, their posture and their musculoskeletal function and how some of the problems that may arise in childhood could lead to pain disorders later in life during adulthood. So something that parents are probably very interested uh, to know about because of the kinds of routines and habits that our children develop in their earlier years. Liang, thanks so much for joining me all the way from the UK where you are. Thanks for having me, Shaoyit. I'm really happy to be here to discuss and to share about a topic that is actually very close to my heart, which is about um, you know promoting health, musculoskeletal health through the life course. So I think to set the stage for, you know, later on we'll be discussing more the dysfunction of things. But let's understand function first and and what typical uh, uh, should look like, I suppose. Let's try to understand children's bodies and how their musculoskeletal system grows and develops over the years. If you could take us through that life course, as you said. Okay, sure. Now, maybe we can start with defining what the musculoskeletal system is. It's actually, as its name suggests, um, it's the muscular system and the skeletal system uh, together. Like all body systems, it does not function in isolation. It's integrated with other body systems like the circulatory system and the respiratory system and it's coordinated by the nervous system. So it's made out of bone, muscle, tissue, um, connective tissue, ligaments, tendons and supplied by nerves and blood supply. So the main role of this system, the musculoskeletal system, or we call it MSK for short, is to provide stability, support for our body and our shape as well. To protect our organs, like our ribcage protects our heart and our lungs, our brain, our skull protects our brain, and of course, to produce movement. Now, when we want to talk about the development of this system, because it's a multi-component system, it's quite complex and long. So for the purpose of today, I'm going to just focus on describing some of the most relevant events, features, and milestones of one of the parts of the system, which is the skeletal system or the bone system. Because I want to help you build a picture of why the phrase that some you might hear or read about where we talk about in healthcare, a very well-worn phrase, children are not little adults, uh, is, is often used when it comes to um, managing children's condition. Um, it's often used to remind us that children have very distinct healthcare needs because they have different anatomy, physiology, the way they develop is different, and of course, their social and psychological characteristics as well. So let's begin uh, by first saying that bone is a living tissue, so it's constantly changing. So throughout your life, uh, your body is continu- continuously removing bone and replacing it with fresh, fresh bone. This process is called remodeling. We have specialized cells called osteoclasts that absorb or digest old bone tissue. And then there is other cells called osteoblasts that that take calcium and other minerals from the blood to lay down new tissue until the old bone is completely replaced. Now, in children, the rate of this bone being formed outstrips the rate of it being replaced. Because as children, their 
constantly growing uh, in size, in density, right? The skeletal system. While in adults, this rate of replacement is slower. And this has impact in a few ways that we will come back to later. So another thing to remember about the bone system or the development of the skeletal system is that when babies are born, um, we have around three, they have around 300 bones. And many of these bones are made out of cartilage, a type of connective tissue that is firm and flexible. Now, this flexibility is very necessary because the baby is growing in a very confined space of a womb. And then, of course, when it travels through the birth canal to be delivered, it needs to have uh, that flexibility as well. But as this baby grows after it's born, much of the cartilage is replaced by actual bone. And then the bones were fused together, and it comes down to the actual number of 206 bones that we have as adults. So this process is called ossification, and it occurs throughout the body. Uh, it continues until we're about 25 years old. So it's, it's not like, you know, once you're done with puberty, it's done. Yeah. So, and even that 25 years varies a little bit depending on individuals. The other thing that we need to know is that bone, they do grow. Because as children grow, their organs grow. So bones have to grow to accommodate that, that growth as well. Um, and they have um, growth plates at the end of their bones, which are usually at the end of long bones, like your thigh bones and your forearm bones. Now, these growth plates are active at different times of the developmental stage and basically determine the final size and the shape of the bone. They close up when the person stops growing or reaches their maximal height. So in males, this is about 15 to 17 years old, and in females, between 14 to 15 years old. Growth plates are also very um, susceptible to injury and fractures. Um, so this is something that we also need to think about when we see children with um, who fall off their bites, because if there is any injury to the growth plate, it can also be difficult to manage because it can get deformed uh, and, and, of course, disrupt the growing process. Uh, so some of the things that we also need to think about is how children's bones are very flexible because it's uh, of the chemical composition. So another thing to remember is that because children's bones are full of blood vessels because they have an extra layer of periosteum, it's a connective tissue that's filled with blood vessels and um, nerves. So the rate of healing is also faster. So you will see this difference in adults as well. And adults usually will take months to heal, whereas in children, they might take weeks, right? And of course, then we've got the psychological and the social part of it because children may not be able to tell you what's on, what's going on, what kind of pain they're having. And of course, they also are scared. So that is also when um, we need to really make sure that the management of the child is not in the same manner as we would an adult patient. Mm. Um, so going back to that phrase of children are not little adults. So in that context, what is good musculoskeletal health in children? Because um, I guess at first in my mind, it's just about um, are they growing in height uh, you know, to match their age as they should be. But does it go perhaps a little deeper than that? Well, it's, it's all of that, as you said, meeting milestones. And of course, going back to the function of the musculoskeletal system, at the minimum, it must be doing the things that it's supposed to do, the support, the stability, the protection of organs, and then, of course, producing movement. Um, and then, of course, if you break it down, it's a multi-component system. You can say, oh, we want to have uh, strength, a certain strength in the muscle, flexibility. Then we could have things like speed, balance, tone. 
alignment. And then, of course, we could measure things like bone density as well. That would be a sort of a textbook approach to it, I guess. But in real life, if there's a lot more nuance, and good or bad, uh, or healthy or not healthy, is not down to an absence of presence of a list of traits and features, right? Um, because we're all built differently too. Nobody is built the same way. So even within the group of children in the same age group, you will see variant variations of sometimes even months, up to a few months in terms of their growth and development. And also, as we mentioned earlier, the musculoskeletal system interacts with other systems. And it's also, we know, just like for overall, overall health and well-being, it's intertwined with mental health and psychosocial factors. So it, it becomes um, maybe not so neatly separated into you know, what is healthy or what is not healthy, what is good or not bad or bad. So the key really is to look at the needs and the context of the child or the person. What is their lifestyle? What do they participate in or engage in? Um, what are their goals? What matters to them? What are their stories? You know. Um, so if we look at that that way, then you think, okay, a well-functioning and healthy musculoskeletal system then will then support you to maintain your functional abilities and your quality of life, allows you to engage in the activities that you want to engage in, in the lifestyle that you want to have, to participate in that lifestyle, um, to carry out just your activities of daily living, and of course, to have less risk of developing a musculoskeletal disorder, right? And this has to happen all throughout all stages and um, ages of your life, right? Specifically for a child, then you would think, okay, a healthy musculoskeletal system supports them to grow and develop well, like you said, just now meeting milestones, uh, move well, learn well, play well, and later work well, and to be able to just have the physical capacity to be able to perform all the activities that they want and they need to do. Now, in terms of what is not so good, I tend to shy away from the word bad because it doesn't really embrace or accommodate for nuance. So for a better term would be less than optimal or maybe impaired. Mm. So an impaired musculoskeletal system then um, is basically associated, usually associated with pain, disability, a reduced ability to work, to study, to care for oneself or to care for others. It also usually means increased healthcare visits and costs, uh, taking medication, and maybe the participation and engagement with life and community is modified somewhat. So it's not at its fullest. Um, so this has impact on the child's quality of life and also in a way will have an impact on the well-being of their family and, and the community as well. So let's go for a quick break. And when we come back, I want to take sort of that spectrum that you've described and try to look at it from um, family life perspective, I guess. You know, for parents who are listening then, uh, what does that mean when I look at my child and their daily activities and their capacity and participation, things like that? And what are some red flags that may indicate uh, that functioning is not as optimal as it should be? I'm speaking today to Chu Liang, a physiotherapist, about children's musculoskeletal health and uh, are our modern lifestyles perhaps contributing to some issues uh, that we may want to really be taking a step back and looking at uh, what we could address right now. So stay tuned to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. My guest today on Zoom is Chu Liang, a physiotherapist, and we are discussing children's musculoskeletal health throughout the life course of a child as they transition into adolescence, adulthood as well, of course. And uh, we tend to think of musculoskeletal health, um, the uh, you know the well-being and the functioning of our bones and, and, and connective tissues and joints, maybe more in adulthood. So I think uh, time to put the spotlight on children and how children's lifestyles and routines uh, need to be looked at uh, within that context as well. So Liang, earlier you talked about, you know, um, good musculoskeletal health should be able to contribute to children's um, ability to do the things that kids should be doing, learning, playing, um, being able to move around uh, and of course meeting their growth milestones and perhaps um, impaired or less than optimal musculoskeletal health would mean pain, disability uh, and not being able to uh, do what they should be doing. But in the context of a household and family life, what are some red flags that parents should be looking out for in terms of children's daily activities that may indicate uh, things are not as optimal as they should be? Now, when when we say that um, with a child, because they of, of their age and their developmental stages, they often present with pathologies that are specific to their age. But in a way, when it comes to presentations and complaints of musculoskeletal disorders, they are quite similar in adults. Um, that in that the symptoms of aches, pains, um, tingling, stiffness, signs of like swelling, sometimes redness, um, a reduction in their mobility and their function remains to be sort, sort of very visible, present uh, things that we can see. Of course, occasionally there might be visible symptoms or signs that um, you can't see or can't tell or might be masked. Uh, or if the child may have difficulty in sort of recognizing that it is a problem in the first place or that they are not able to verbalize that um, what's going on with them. Or if a child has a disability or even if the child has not developed spoken language, this can be a lot of barriers there uh, for parents to actually really be in touch with, with what uh, their child is going through. So in this, those situations, you might observe or be attuned to observing or maybe train yourself to observe uh, certain things, you know, like uh, are they requiring assistance with day, uh, activities of daily living that they could do previously without your help, you know, like toileting, dressing, climbing up and downstairs. They maybe you notice they're a little bit less active. They're not participating in play, in exercise, in sport. They prefer to be carried if they're younger, even up and downstairs. They don't want to go up and downstairs. There's a display of change in behavior and mood. Possibly they're more irritable, more tired, not sleeping well. Often it's one other sign um, and no obvious maybe other reason for not sleeping well. When we talk about motor milestones, as we mentioned before, there's a regression in their motor milestones. Sometimes you notice sort of them rubbing their joints for comfort. Um, that also, even if they don't know, maybe that's what they're doing. Uh, some people, some children might not like their hands being held if that's where the problem is, or they might be sensitive to their nails being cut, even if that wasn't a problem before. They stumble and trip more than before, walking more slowly, more stiffly. A very obvious one is the limp, of course. Um, they're limping or not putting weight through the limp or the leg or not using the limb or the leg, pre preferring to use another side. 
Um, you can also maybe notice and just pay attention to or regularly check the, the shape of the joints to see if there's any changes along the way. Um, and sometimes if you if your teachers are um, very in tune with your kids as well, they might report a change in school, you know, in their behavior, in the way they sit, they stand, they participate in sport, even in their handwriting or, or their mood as well, right? Of course, all these things could cover a range of disorders, not just musculoskeletal related. But the, the, the point is to be firstly aware and recognizing that maybe there is an issue um, and that's not quite right. And then because with kids, early intervention is, is key, um, then you need you may need to pay a visit to your peds or your healthcare professional or whoever your, your usual doctor is, right? But one of the things that I wanted to bring up is actually the concept of red flags. Uh, something that people might have heard of. Um, there are red flags, which are actually a list of things or signs or symptoms that people should look out for that are potentially uh, indicative of potentially worrying health conditions, right? Um, it might not be. It, sometimes you might have to see more than that or there's a pattern. Um, and of course, this list that I'm going to go through is also not exhaustive. But if, if your child presents with any of this or some of this, then play it safe and seek medical review and advice. So things like night pain, unremitting pain, significant weight loss, if you notice your child's lost weight a lot, without any reason, again, unexplained muscle weakness, or you see that their muscles are a lot smaller, or there's a size difference between limbs. Um, sometimes they have changes in sensation. They might say, hey, I don't feel this as much as on the other side, um, or like, complaining of pins and needles or funny tingling sensation. A big one is changes in bowel or bladder habits as well. Um, not just um, whether they're going or not, it's whether they um, control or can, or even sometimes they have sort of funny sensations or pain in the, in the area, in the genital area. And another big one is significant limping, especially if it's accompanied by sort of fever and, fe and feeling unwell. So that's also another big one. Basically, in general, if you have any doubt at all about or worry about your child's health or musculoskeletal health, you know, it's best just to seek and call your doctor. And Nobody will mind because, because everybody will understand that you're worried about your child. Mm. Are you seeing or, you know, is the trend that uh, current generations of children are developing these problems earlier, let's say, compared to previous generations? Uh, there is a trend. There have been studies that have shown that in specifically to non-specific spinal pain, which is spinal pain that is not attributed to you know a particular pathology or a disorder or a structure, uh, we have we do see that um, this is possibly happening. Uh, there's a trend that is happening earlier, and why is happening? We are not sure yet because there's not enough data at the moment. Um, we have. In terms of children's musculoskeletal health, not enough data and details have been collected. So we don't know how big the problem is. The possibility we think is that this problem is actually bigger than we think it is at the moment. Um, and that there is a lot that we should do about it right now. Right. So what we do know right, is that um, physical inactivity levels have risen. No thanks to COVID-19 as well. And... 80% of the world's adolescent population are not meeting physical activity guidelines. Physical activity helps develop strong bones and muscles and reduces the risk of obesity. We also know that childhood obesity levels 
are soaring worldwide. Adolescents who are obese are more likely to experience persistent or recurrent joint pain, including knee pain, spinal pain. So from this, possibly we can extrapolate that part of the problem lies with poor diet and nutrition and our modern, often quite sedentary lifestyles where there is wide uh, use of technology, not just for work, but for learning, for leisure. Um, you know, there's a lack of uh, or reduction in what we call active travel, where we prefer to use motor vehicles to commute from place to place. And of course, just a movement culture that is just really lacking in, in school and in workplaces as well. Then there's also how we design infrastructure, right? And uh, our built environments, whether it's school, work, home environments, whether it's our outside environments, whether we have access to parks, um, adequate sidewalks, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's a big problem too, but obviously, as you know, it's, it's also a policy issue and it requires a concerted effort among various ministries, not just the health ministry, right? You've got your, your sort of infrastructure ministry and so forth. So that's also a, a, a bit of a barrier there. And there is just generally a lack of knowledge of uh, children's musculoskeletal health and uh, issues and the impact it, it has on their lives and their families' lives, not just among the public, but also um, in educators in schools, teachers and healthcare professionals as well. But, you know, we are doing this to our kids, right? They live the way we do, basically. And what agency do they have to change their lifestyles if this is how, this is the kind of environment we create for them? Absolutely. So it's a really, it's sort of like a really hard problem and really complex, actually. And um, I mean, even down to just, say, using screens, right? That that people always say, oh, screens, you know, um, there are guidelines, you know, but you know, during lockdown, there was also lack of lack of options in a way sometimes. And and parents are humans too, right? Teachers are humans too. And sometimes it's just it's just this like and, and life, honestly, life as we know it and life as they will know it in their future will be predominantly sort of filled with screens. Yeah. Um so it's also a reality for them. Um so there is it is a balance and I, I think if we, I mean, my hope is that if we learn about it now and we do something about it now and we start something now uh, and, and the culture that is sort of maybe activity and movement permissive or encouraging, then we are maybe then um, rearing or raising children who will become better policymakers or better teachers, educators, better colleagues or employers that, can be that look after themselves and and each other. Mm. So that's that's the hope that I have. But but you're right. It is it is a problem. What might yeah. be some of those things that we can do? Do you want to talk about sort of micro a little bit, macro a little bit as well? So well, in terms of policy, as we said just now, you know, um, policy makers need to be maybe pay more attention to this area. Um, I think often the um, other non-communicable diseases like cardiovascular disease and diabetes and stroke and cancers, of course, validly so, but receive a lot of attention and visibility and awareness um, because when we talk about uh, public health, often we are very focused on mortality or death, whereas when we talk about musculoskeletal health, they're often related more to disability, um, but very, very important because disability actually affects um, how we live and function, right? Um, so 
actually, in fact, low back pain is the leading, single leading global cause of disability in the world. But yet it doesn't uh, receive as much attention. So that's from a macro level. And of course, I think, like I said before, it re really involves a, a, a coordinated effort among different sectors, different yeah. ministries. So that's also when it gets a little bit difficult. And now at the micro level, of course, then um, we've got the school environment, we've got the whole environment, and then we've got the workplace. So let's talk about maybe the school environment first. Um, the schools are where children spend a lot of their time. Yeah. Um, and it has tremendous potential and opportunity to be a place where children can learn to engage with their health and to learn about their health and to learn how to be advocates for their health. Um, so they're, they're in, in a traditional school environment, it's, it's probably you and I know, is maybe not very movement permissive mm -hmm. or encouraging. PEs are what, once a week? I don't know how whether it's changed. Um, since then, or maybe a little One, bit more. Once or twice, but, you know, once. it's um, debatable in terms of how much actual physical activity happens during PE classes as well. Absolutely. And also, in terms of, like, um, you know, little things like how the curriculum is planned or the lesson is planned, do kids have breaks in between classes? Um, I've spoken to some of the parents of my children who, who school in Malaysia and and there isn't much breaks, actually, except for recess. Um, is there outdoor play? Is there time in open spaces? And we know that being open spaces in nature and sunlight is good for our eyes, is good for our mental health, is good for physical health. Um, is there, um, you know, like furniture and design? Are we thinking, Are we? do we have the same set of furniture or the same size of furniture for all the kids in the same school, even though they're of different ages? Or do are we thinking about our furniture in science labs? You know those tall stools or the heights. Uh, are kids, you know, like in awkward positions, hunched over. Uh, are we sitting for too long? You know, are we letting lessons go over a certain time that kids have no time? And then when they fidget, we make a big deal about it. Whereas actually fidgeting is actually a natural way of the child to move and to release compression through the body. And in fact, um, there is a concept called NEAT, uh, where it's this little small movements that we do during the day that is that is just like spontaneous, like fidgeting, getting up and down, running from the bus, that is actually very important to our physical health, right? And maintaining weight as well. Uh, that's what NEAT does as well. So, and also how we plan our PE curriculum. So we know, just now we talked about bone health and we talked about how in children, we're building bone health quite rapidly. We know that the peak bone mass, which is your maximum size and strength of your bone, is basically achieved by the time you are about 18 or 20, mm. right? And 90% of it is built in your young childhood adolescent years. So, and we know that for to build up good bone strength, it has to be, you know, um, weight-bearing activities, explosive kind of activities, so jumping, gymnastics, uh, running, walking. So when we plan our PE curriculum, are we thinking about these things? Because this is an opportunity to build strength and health that in a child, because we know that musculoskeletal health um, in childhood carries over to adulthood. It's like you're building a bit of a bank there. 
uh, you're investing in a bank that actually will, will have benefits for you as, as an adult. Um, we also know that obesity levels um, carry over from childhood. If you were obese as a child, the, 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 it's a higher chance of you to be obese as an adult as well. And if you're physically active as a child, then there's also a higher chance of you to be physically active as an adult. And all these has impact on our musculoskeletal health um, all through our, our life years as well. Um, we also know that persistent pain as a child is related to a higher risk of chronic pain in an adult. And we know chronic pain is a big, big problem and a big, big healthcare cost. So in schools, if we can cultivate a culture of, you know, activity, movement, and being active, thinking about the way we design our environments, uh, giving the child appropriate education and holistic education, not just about one part or not just about physical health, it has to also have the other factors of health that musculoskeletal health and physical interact with, uh, sleep, nutrition, social connections, and sort of stress management, emotional health, they're all important parts of it. And of course, also then we need to look after our teachers as well, because they're also role models for our kids. And if they are trained and they know what they're doing and they have the knowledge, then they are also likely to impart and model that training and the knowledge to our children. Mm. So even though there's a, there seems to be a lot of work to do, it can be done in small steps. So we can also look to countries in the EU or overseas that have actually started certain programs. Some of the more interesting ones is like, um, I think in Hungary, they instead of PE every once or twice a week, is every day they have PE. So it's, a, it's like a small change that can be done, right? And of course, also making sure that this, what we learn, the, the ergonomics education in schools also carry into the home. Um, even though with the pandemic, you know, we have that home learning, Home learning existed before the pandemic. You know, children were already doing homework and learning and studying for exams at home. Yeah. So this is also something we should pay attention to. But of course, it depends on your context, your needs, your resources, your constraints, your capacity. So I'm, I'm also a parent myself. And I know the amount of information and advice that we get as parents in terms of what you should do for your child and your child rearing is overwhelming. Yeah. So I don't mean to, you know, you don't. I, I want to more. say that, you know, what I'm trying to share here is not supposed to be overwhelming or create anxiety. A few sort of maybe advice or principles that I have is that you don't have to do everything and you don't have to do it all at once. You sort of pick what is most necessary or will make the most impact, right? So think about your child. Think about what your child needs. You can then break it down in small steps. So maybe if we think about what makes the most impact, we think about physical activity. So how can you encourage more physical activity for your child outside of school? Um, the best thing to do, of course, is to model behavior, right? Of course, saying that don't think of it as something else to do. Think of it as also something that you do for yourself because it benefits you too. So you have to try to break it down in small steps. I know aspirational health goals just lead to overwhelm and sometimes people just don't get that because it's just too hard. So if we break it down into small steps, think about the things that you enjoy, bring fun into it, make it exploratory, make it um, playful, make it something that the, the whole family can do. Break it down. And we also know that even 10 minutes of physical activity has a lot of benefits for all of health. 
So you don't have to do big things. You can just do small things like weaving movement through into your day, making sure your child has breaks, maybe every half an hour have a break. And that break has to be sort of active. They can be dancing to music with you or they can um, be, you know, doing some exercises or stretching. You have to get them out of the chair. Of course, think about your environment. It doesn't have to be expensive chairs or tables, but also the child is growing. The most important things uh, sort of you can do in terms of ergonomic in school and in at home is that if you use computers, if you use it more than one hour, then make sure you separate the screen and the, the keyboard. And you can do that easily by just getting quite an inexpensive external keyboard, plug it in, raise your screen up to eye level uh, by using stack of books or boxes and making sure that the child is comfortable, well supported um, in his or her chair um, and that they take regular breaks and, you know, be just mindful of um, not sitting for too long. Mm. So that's the home environment. Mm. And then the last thing is the work environment. I mean, of course, children, are, the school is just sort of their workplace. But we also know there are figures that tell us that um, the sort of reports of musculoskeletal pain jump from childhood to adolescence. There's one jump there. And then after they enter the workforce, which can happen anytime from their 18, depending on what they want to do, that has another jump as well. So the workplace is also another important area that we need to think about mm. as well. Um, and there are various regulations in place and we can also bring those regulations of what we know that works in the work workplace into our homes and into our schools. Mm. Is there, uh, talking about those jumps from different phases of life to the other, is there hope that we can sort of reverse um, issues that develop uh, if we intervene at different points? Absolutely. I think that one thing that we need to know about the musculoskeletal system that is very strong, is very robust, um, is also resilient and is amenable to change. Um, and what changes it is physical activity and diet, nutrition, management of other health factors and behaviours and psychosocial effect, uh, factors as well. Mm. But physical activity is a big one and it's an easy one to do that we all can do immediately. Um, so with physical activity, we know that there are certain activities or type of activities that are more beneficial. Um, all activity is beneficial, but if you want to focus on what is beneficial in terms from a life cost perspective, starting from your child that will have benefits in adulthood, then we want to think about weight-bearing exercises, right? Um, we also want to think about resistance exercises like lifting weights also because that's also important in bone health, muscle strength, and in maintaining a healthy weight. Then you also have physical activities that are non-weight-bearing like swimming and cycling, which are really popular. They are not necessarily good for building bone, but they are great for just general health and your cardiovascular fitness, right? And then you have sports, you know, you have um, organized sports that are fun. There's, it's a fun way, actually, sports are a fun way to get children and parents um, being active together. They build physical and social confidence as well. Um, and they also introduce an element of what we call risky play. So there's some risk element to it, there's some uncertainty to it, but that's actually important for the musculoskeletal system to be able to build robustness and, and resilience. So don't be afraid to let your children, you know, 
dive into the field for a ball or like climb the climb trees. Of course, there is a certain le level of uh, risk, but you maybe can sort of contain the risk in a way that you're comfortable with. But having that kind of risky play is actually quite important and perhaps maybe missing somewhat in our modern lives mm. uh, when we try to protect our children. Understandably so, right? Mm. But maybe we can sort of think about certain things that we can let them do. And another important thing is actually sedentary time. So not um, making sure that your kids spend less time being sedentary and more time just moving, right? And, and then, of course, like I said before, just get harnessing the effects of nature, of sunlight, of social connections, doing things with your family and your friends. They all have huge benefits for mental, physical health and uh, overall well-being mm. as well. And, and from your own personal experience of working with children who perhaps uh, come in with issues related to these sort of the lack of the movement culture rather than the structural issues, because I, I feel like that one has its own pathway in terms of um, dealing with it, right? Um, but um, I guess, you know, if you could share an example of um, children who you've seen uh, coming in with the lifestyle-related issues, the pain and all that, and how it's been turned around by just these kinds of interventions. I mean, some, sometimes they come in with sports-related issues. So that's another thing is overuse injuries, whether we are doing enough um, education on injury prevention, sports safety in, in schools uh, as well. So that's another issue for schools. But in terms of uh, an example of a patient, the one that I can that jumps out at me in my own clinical career is uh, a teenager who I saw who came in with um, spinal pain, quite widespread from neck to back, obviously affecting him because it, it you know, affects his ability to learn, to focus, and also affecting his mood. So his mother will often say, oh, he's getting very moody, very irritable. Mm. Um, and he will come in and he wouldn't say very much. And he would have a lot of complaints about what's happening in his life, right? That, you know, as, as children at that age have of stresses that they face at school, pressures, relationship issues with their friends, and often what they actually need, I mean, we did hands-on treatment. We gave him exercises. But actually what he needed was just to have an outlet. So that's where the psychosocial component comes in as well. So if you listen to your client, often they tell you where the problem is. And some of, a lot of it was for him was about stress. And, a lot, and some of it was about just the physical part of it. But obviously, if a patient, if a person or an individual is not feeling particularly happy or motivated or is moody, they, it will also affect how they feel in terms of whether they want to get out yeah. and do something, um, be physically active. It affects their mood. It affects their energy. I mean, I, I feel that as well, you know, when, when if I'm sort of sad about something, it it really takes a bit for me to get going again and to get myself out. Even though I know that getting out, doing something, being outside, it's does tremendous um, stuff to my well-being. So a, a lot of it is just education. A lot of it is just uh, making aware what is happening. And a lot of it is just maybe just giving him small steps to take action in terms of uh, bringing in more movement and activity in his life. And then as these small steps stack up and they build up, people 
people will eventually see the difference that it makes. And then that becomes bigger actions, bigger goals. But at the end of it, he was looking better, brighter, posture was better. Um, you know, because posture reflects your moods as well, in, in, in a way. Um, not necessarily, and sometimes posture or poor posture, as we say, is 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 actually a reflection of somebody in, in pain, not necessarily because of the posture they have pain. It could be the other way around as well. Mm, mm. So so just little sort of things like that made a, a difference to him. I love that because it shows that we don't just look at an individual's uh, musculoskeletal issues in isolation. Uh, it's exactly what you said. It interacts with everything else in a person's life. Um, a very quick final message, Liang. Final message is that musculoskeletal health insurance is a problem, probably a bigger problem than we think it is. But don't that, let that overwhelm you because there are things as an individual within your own family that you can embrace and do even straight away. My main tip is to pick one area that you can make an immediate difference in uh, and break it down to small steps. If you don't know what that is, then I would say just move more. Talk to your children more about uh, their pain, their issues, their health. Because I think building awareness and health literacy is the first step to making any meaningful change in the way we want to uh, reframe or build a culture that is more focused on the health and well-being of a person and, and, and doing it through ways that are preventative, that we are not talk, we're not doing something about it when it becomes a problem. Yeah. We're trying to do something about it before it becomes a problem. Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Chu Liang, a physiotherapist, about looking at our children's musculoskeletal health, what have been some red flags we've discussed that parents can look out for, and little things that we can start doing today. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the VFM app.